Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Obsidian. And this is Sophia. We got uh, three guests with us here today. You guys want to introduce yourselves for the phase one wrap-up? For the phase one wrap-up. We have two guests through video call and one guest in person. Um, so let's start with the guest in person. Hi, I'm Jason Charney. I was the sound designer for episode three. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm Vanessa Taylor. I'm here as a community member. Hi, I'm Simone Bongo Vieja, and I voice acted Temi in episode two. Hey, all right, the gang's all here. The gang's <laughs> all here. So I've been pretty excited about this. Um, Sophia and I wanted to have an opportunity to do a phase one wrap up. Um, if you don't know by now, if you're listening, uh, we separate the episodes by phases. So every mm-hmm. three episodes is a phase, and phase one was relationships. And then we were talking maybe like uh, like two weeks ago. We thought it'd be really cool to just you know take this opportunity and discuss the themes of like phase one with some people that were you know pivotal and some people that have you know, strong opinions and you know <laughs> have already are involved in the type of work that we're doing yeah. and so we thought about it we selected jason simone and vanessa to be those three people yeah so we all wrote each other's questions so we can just hop in to oh uh, and then we will also be addressing social media questions yes. as well so you know if you sent us a sent us a question listen out we're gonna, you know, give your username a shout out. You know, get you some followers, all that, all that good stuff. So yeah, let's start I'm with. I'm gonna start with um, uh-huh. a social media question because I feel like it's a good, broad enough question that everybody can feel like they can join in. All right, hit it. Um. Hmm. Actually, these are maybe similar, so I'm gonna address two questions from social media. One by Instagram user Hilu KB. Um, at everyone, how do you feel your involvement with this podcast mm. has influenced you? And Instagram user Adiola underscore A1 asks, what has been your favorite part of Obsidian so far? That's so my maybe sister, by the way. Can, <laughs> that can be like a two-part question about okay. how it's okay. influenced you and your favorite part so far. Do you, do, should we start it off or do we want to let our guests start it off? I don't want to guest start it off. Oh, that's so cruel, but okay. And I'll jump in at once. <laughs> I see your mouth open. Simone's ready. I Go will. Ahead. I guess I'll answer first then. Um, I will say that it, as far as influence, it did allow me to kind of tap back into my artsy, like theatrical side, I would say. Mm. Um, the last time I did theater was in high school. Mm. So, you know, I think a lot of outside of when me and Sophia were in undergrad and acting for each other in our student videos <laughs> like i haven't really you know gotten the chance to just have fun in a theatrical like kind of way so i guess that would be the influence um what was the second question again i'm your sorry your favorite part oh my favorite part i love listening to them especially because i think my favorite episode outside of my episode i think my <laughs> favorite one that i love listening to because i think it it I asked most questions was the last one ah, yeah. because the last one 
and I, I was listening to it and I was like, there's so many, it's, it's so complex in terms mm -hmm. of the relationships. I think it taps into that relationship that we see with the, um, the, the professor's computer, the AI in yeah. episode two, where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, we built this thing and now you just toss it to the wind. Yeah. What do you do now? It was you know, a good transition think, and purely by accident. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But it had a good connection between episodes too. Yeah, yeah, because it's like you know, you see in episode two the AI becomes jaded. I want to mm -hmm. say I don't want to say angry, but I'll say jaded. But then in the third one, it like slowly withers away, and that's so human. Yeah. You know that like mm -hmm. abandonment thing and how you slowly wither. Because as much as people oh, independent, independent, you do need like sometimes people need someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like we you know, so I think, beings. yeah, I think that was that was something that I really enjoyed. I can go off what Simone just said mm -hmm. and say that uh, at least for for me, I was in a similar space in which I was doing a lot of sciencey stuff for uh, like a large portion of my of my life, especially since college. Um, I was doing more creative writing and stuff when I was in high school. But then entering college, most of what I was doing was just biology, chemistry, organic, all that type of stuff. And my creativity definitely withered as a result. So for me, Obsidian was an opportunity for me to like really activate a creative side of me that I knew existed, but was like, uh, you know, just untapped. Um, I mean, I don't know, some people don't know the story, but me and Sophia were sending stories with each other like two to three years, really since we met. So she was like my creative partner or my creative outlet, really. So then with Obsidian, it's really been an opportunity to like delve headfirst into all of that. And it's been really fun having to uh, write these episodes and having people interact with them. Uh, comments like yours, Simone, are really nice to hear because mm -hmm. it means like, you know, we're doing it right. We're doing the right thing. We're getting people thinking. We're getting those gears churning. And, uh, and it's good. So that is, that's been like how it's affected me and also my favorite part, just hearing how people like feel about the episodes. Actually, I'll take that back. One of my favorite, the other favorite part is when me and Sophia could think of a really good idea. Mm, if you guys were in the writer good. room, <laughs> heat. It's yeah. heat. It's fun. It's, it's like it's good time. Eureka moments. Yeah. Those yeah. always feel really good. Um, <laughs> that reminded me of my favorite part, I will say. Uh, remembering that you can have play when you're working, and we did a lot of like body exercises in episode two because the girls were camping, and so we were in the hallway doing sprints, doing suicides. Uh, running just down the hall, up escalation, not inclinations. What is it called? Incline. Inclines. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, just getting getting active and fun in the middle of working, and then going back to work, and that being part of the work has been my favorite part. That's um, real. Yeah, my favorite part was actually just seeing Obsidian launch, mm. um, <clears throat> because it it's definitely a space that's sorely needed. Um, and uh, Sophia, I was familiar with you before, mm -hmm. um, and kind of familiar with your work. Uh, but the thing is, you do a lot of art installations uh, mm -hmm. that are not where I am, and so it was nice to be able to like see a project that I could get involved with because mm -hmm. it is digital, and so it doesn't matter, you know, if you're in Baltimore and I'm in Philadelphia, yeah, that doesn't really make a difference. I mean, I'm in Minnesota right now, so again, oh. that doesn't make a difference oh. at all. Um, or yeah, I'm visiting oh. home. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite things for this is because I, I was, you know, I listened to it since the launch too. Well, I mean, like I, I am a big like fan of, um, of speculative fiction, mm -hmm. and I'm also a big fan of podcasts. But I don't like ever listen to them 
or like I don't listen to any like fiction like sort of radio play and it's such a like rich medium you know yeah like there's so much that you can storytelling that you can do with sound and so I just think this is a really cool project um, in that like I don't know of anything else like this um, and I know that there's a lot of uh, really interesting um, like black speculative fiction mm -hmm. uh, literature uh, out right now and like really exciting stuff I've read um, but going to the audio format is really exciting as a listener and you know as a sound designer um, to listen to this project yeah mm. yeah and Jason is a great sound designer Jason you can attest to that Jason is also a composer Ooh, right? let him know mm -hmm. let him know I'm a whole rad degree right yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright so let's transition to more direct questions I had a question for you Simone about episode 2 actually um, so your character in Off the Grid was in a pretty tough place in life. Um, her mother had actually recently passed away, which is a off-script event, but something she speaks on at some point. Um, so basically, in the eight, those 18 minutes, you show like a huge range in emotion. <laughs> you out here in the studio fake crying or real crying. It, it was wild. It was a lot. And I thought that could be really difficult, honestly, because there's points you're being like very humorous, there's points you're being very loving, there's points you're being very upset, there's points you're being very angry, and just jumping within all of those in an 18-minute episode is, is a lot. So like, was it difficult for you to like go to those extremes? Um, difficult, I think it was a little difficult to get to that emotional side, especially because, yeah. like Sophia said, we had been running suicides. So now <laughs> you have this, like, adrenaline building. But then I think I had to wrap my head around being this girl who is scared. Mm -hmm. Like, so, and I'm, I am a, <laughs> I am an emotional person. So it's like, if I feel, like, if I feel like, oh my gosh, like, something scary is happening, then I don't want to be like, oh, I'm a methody type of actor. But, like, you know, like, <laughs> I think it, it is a lot easier to get to that place when you put yourself in the character's shoes and you imagine like okay i'm in the middle of the woods it's dark it's scary i've noticed something strange is going on and now i see the mother who i have lost like it's it's so terrifying so you have to get into that place where it's just like i'm so scared i didn't actually cry though which is funny because i cried for my audition but I didn't cry when I was there. And I think it was mainly because of, again, the adrenaline and I'm just like, I was so excited. I was so happy to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but um, disorienting, no, but it was, I will say it was a little, it was hard to jump in between those kind of things. But once it gets to this very steady, it, it becomes like this steady incline, right? Yeah. Like, okay, I'm happy. Okay, now I'm like frustrated. Okay, now I'm angry. Now I'm pissed, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, and we, when yeah. we were writing that episode, actually, we wanted that to be like a steady incline for listeners to yeah. like, acknowledge and realize too. Because if you guys remember, in episode two, there's a couples, uh, yeah. um, Naki and Temi, who are like being very lovey-dovey initially, but then they're put in a situation where they're stressed out and the anxiety builds and they're arguing. So there's like a natural buildup. So I, I guess you you bring up a really good point. Um, it's easier for you to act that out and perform that because it's a natural buildup rather than us asking you to you know, start from the end and then jump to the middle yeah, and then jump to the beginning. Yeah, we did that in uh, yeah. the sequential order that it yeah. fell yeah. <laughs> to the script. So. Yeah, so that reminded me of my question, uh, which was, what was it like to meet two strangers and start working with them intimately, almost immediately, and what helped you build that comfort in that situation, especially because the booth is small? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah well i'm a friendly kind of girl you know um, <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't that hard it is it was like a little awkward at first like naturally like everyone has to build to get to that space but everyone is so nice just so wonderful like marisha love her helena love her like it was really it was really great um of course you know shout out to y'all for you know making sure that we did team building things like we had the icebreakers and then yeah. i think we played jenga a couple times and <laughs> that was really awesome was yeah yeah it was good i had a good time working with marisha and helena and you guys thank, thank you, you thank you i do have a question for jason mm -hmm. if i can mm, find yes. my question so my when i was listening to the last one because that was set in like this futuristic s society how do you avoid like common cliches because that's like a huge thing because how many times does one need to hear you know like beep beep boop boop like you know <laughs> how do you avoid doing things like that um i think that i mean for designing audio i think it's the same for like um for designing audio for video as well like you kind of do have to exaggerate certain things and like there's a certain like level of cliche that needs to like be expected just just spell things out like what they are you know like um like using the click at the beginning of each of and end of each of say those little segments it's like mm -hmm. oh he's probably using a digital recorder that doesn't have like a tape click you yeah. know but <laughs> yeah. you, you kind of have to like make up these exaggerated like foley sort of moments so i actually think that um the the cliche or like using um, specific sounds can actually be a, uh, they read less in audio as cliches than they, um, than they might otherwise because that's all you have to work with is mm. the sound, yeah. you know? So um, I, didn't think of, I didn't think about it that much. And actually like in the moments where, um, you know, Seda's, because a lot of it is like very naturalistic, otherwise yeah. like he's the, really the only character. Um, but like when he's in the, I, I, I mean, I guess the recordings and stuff too, but mm -hmm. um, when he's in the ship and he's, you know, kind of in his like mad scientist mode, um, I thought that was almost like, it's like almost campy in a way, like, yeah. you know, like all of the, it, all of the um, technical stuff that he's kind of saying to himself. So I kind of yeah. actually like wanted to use cliche to almost play up that almost funny part of it so i think it worked well too sophia actually said this is like frankenstein and his monster yeah. it definitely yeah. felt like you <laughs> some black and white old horror film yeah. type thing yeah. and there's Especially yeah when, no, go ahead go ahead when it would go like pitch like silent i'd be like oh my god like mm -hmm. it's it, that tension like i'm like oh my god what's happening next like uh -huh. it just gets very like <laughs> suffocating in a way yeah. but like yeah that's mm. funny, really cool. ironically, that the silence is suffocating. Mm. Yeah. But that's like, I mean, that's that's creativity right there. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I really enjoyed about working with Jason was that there was points he would input his own creativity yeah. that we weren't even thinking about some of these things. Like, I was like, what? Yeah. That <laughs> entire sequence like was not that, you know, in-depth or thought out as he made it out to be. Like, he made it much more than we even intended it for it to be. So that was cool. But as a as a uh, writer myself, there's thousands of times in which I'll put something out there, and then I'm like, I wish I could have taken that line away, or mm -hmm. at least I could have changed this. But it's too late. It's out there for mm -hmm. public consumption. Does that ever happen with you and like your sound designing? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't done that much like sound design for narrative stuff, but mm -hmm. like for music and um, you know certain things. And then eventually, you if you hear it over and over again, it just like live with you. It either <laughs> like 
you're either like, okay, that's there, and like it, I feel emotionally neutral about it now, or you just like get to like it out of familiarity too. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. But um, just like with, uh, just going off something that um, Simone was saying with acting, you know, kind of like imagining yourself in the situation. I think the same thing is true with the sound design, and mm -hmm. like, okay, how how does this like, how does the energy flow here if I were actually in this situation, and like, what am I hearing in the background? What's in the foreground? Like all of those things, and it's really like there's almost an acting element to it where you have to like kind of put yourself in that situation. Yeah. This makes me think of, um, it's a question for Vanessa and it says, what expectations do you come with when approaching our episodes um, and what keeps your attention or piques your interest when listening? Um, what expectations do I come with when approaching episodes? Uh, here's the thing. So like I said, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts um, and so it's not that I don't come with any expectations at all, but it's just that I don't, like, I, I come in pretty open. Um, Real quick, I thought you were about to say, here's the thing, I haven't listened to any of y'all episodes. <laughs> I was going to be so <laughs> no, shook. No, I've never listened to your episodes. No, but I come in pretty open just because this is a whole new experience for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, obviously, I've, I've heard stories through audio, um, but still the podcast experience and all of that is new to me. Um but generally what keeps my attention or piques my interest when listening is I'm always just kind of connecting it back to like other conversations I've had or work that I've done. Um, so like I, I remember when I was listening to the first episode and obviously it deals a lot with like, you know, the idea of space travel and things like that. Yeah. Um, but the moon particularly interested me just because I've been writing or I wrote an article before mm -hmm. about who is it? Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, whatever, um, <laughs> wanted to go colonize the moon. Yeah. Um, and so it made me start thinking about like what we're seeing going on in real time with like some of the big names in tech um, and what those possibilities are, um, which again is pretty much the purpose of speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of times when people, you know, hear or read work, and we talked about this before, but like take Octavia Butler, mm -hmm. um, people are like, she's so prophetic. Uh, but how much of it is prophecy? How much of it is people listening to and being in tune with political conversations of their time yeah. and able to kind of say, well, this is happening and we're going to show you a possible trajectory and we're just not going to fill in the in-between. We're just going to show you like this point all the way down the line. That's real. Um, so yeah, being able to like see what other people are getting from the political time that we're in and being able to see what stories that they're forming from these same moments is something that really keeps me in tune. That's actually really, I, I like that a lot. I, I guess that like does kind of dovetail with the question that I wrote for you about like how does how does fiction and like especially speculative fiction like I guess like inspire the community or listeners in a way that other type of writing or audio doesn't. And mm -hmm. I mean, I think you might have just answered that, but I was wondering if you could like uh, speak a little more about that. Yeah, no, for sure. I like that question. Um, I know that for me. I did not see myself like writing sci-fi or anything like that at all. Um, and published what like published work-wise, I haven't done a lot. But my novel is like sci-fi, and it's very much based on dealing with like AI and things like that. Mm. Uh, and this is something I started getting more into after I started covering technology. Um, I got a job at Afrotech. Um, since then, I moved on to covering tech and politics at Mike. And when I cover tech, you know, I don't know 
I don't know how Wi-Fi works. I don't know what makes a computer run. <laughs> but I'm interested in like the social impacts of technology. Mm-hmm. And so I think writing sci-fi and reading sci-fi and kind of like revisiting some of the old stories I enjoyed helps me to work through the things that I'm reading and like having to write about and talk about today. Uh, and like I said, I think sometimes you just need fiction to help people see what's happening in front of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I could be like, hey, Amazon is evil. <laughs> Don't trust Facebook. All of big tech, you know, down with it. Um, but people aren't really going to get it sometimes unless they happen to read a science fiction story that has a company that looks remarkably similar to Facebook or Amazon and has a head that looks remarkably similar to Zuckerberg or Bezos. And then they start thinking about, oh, well, this person, this author, obviously has to be drawing inspiration from somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's real. And, like, I think we forget that, like, uh, you're talking about making these statements a reality and having people hear them, but we forget that there's ongoing campaigns by these tech companies to to obfuscate and make those realities like harder to understand mm-hmm. or just to straight up lie about them, deny them from the first place. So your average human being, it's, it's, they're hearing different opinions and different things from different directions. Um, so it's harder for them to like, I guess, work amidst all that, like, you know, know all those truth. opinions and know what the truth really is, which is why fiction works so well because it's, I mean, it's looking kind of a trick, really. You pull people into a world that they don't expect these things to come out of a lot of the time. And they start to, uh, you know, get intimate with a character, to connect to a character. And then when those real world things start to apply to that character, then, you know, it's very clear what the situation is. And they can start to see that in their own, like, lives and stuff and in reality. So I do think fiction is a political tool, honestly. Um, and I think Afrofuturism and other black fiction writers have understood that and used it for this in the very same way. Um, like Octavia Butler, like you, you just mentioned earlier. I actually, um, I actually, I feel like Vanessa kind of like walking towards my question, mm-hmm. which was like, after listening, did you find yourself having any fears or hopes regarding technology's current and future impact on relationships? Because I guess just to keep it specific to this phase, but if you want to expand. No, I like specific to this phase. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I read that question and I was like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, recently I wrote an article for Where Your Voice, where 60 Minutes ran a story on, what is it, is he Harvard? Some Ivy League um, professor. Harvard? Harvard? Oh, no. I think he was with Harvard, mm. um, but essentially an Ivy League professor, and he was looking at designing a dating app that would match you based on DNA. Oh. Um, oh, and the yikes. idea was to eliminate like genetic diseases. So it's eugenics. Oh, um, I saw this. Yeah, I saw this article on the TL. Where yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so for sure, I think one thing, um, and this is what I got from a conversation with the source I used for that article, um, was just that a lot of times people do think that they're intimate relationships, you know? We like to think of them as free from a lot of other influences, and we mm-hmm. like to think that this is an area of our lives that is like closed off, secretive, you know, the government companies, they're not involved there, but that's not the truth. Um, the government has fiddled in intimate moments since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. Like you can look at eugenics again, you can look at sterilization programs, yep. um, you can even think about, you know, who are you able to meet? Who are you able to associate with based on like class barriers and other sort of things? Uh, and so I absolutely do have fears regarding technology's current and future impact on relationships. Um, it's not easy to be like, this is like my overarching concern, mm-hmm. but I just look at people who are, you know, thinking about ways to bring eugenics or racial pseudosciences back into the mainstream. 
Um, you can even connect DNA testing to that and the whole trend of figuring out where you're from, figuring out who you are. Um, and so now we're developing our relationships and like this concept of connection to a place based on what is frankly bad science when you get into it. Mm. Um, and hopes regarding it, honestly, I'm pretty pessimistic on a good day. <laughs> uh, but I, I definitely think that people can use tech to not like perpetuate these things. That you can absolutely use tech to not perpetuate racial science and like eugenics and all of that. Um, and so I think one thing that I hope to see is that I do hope to see more black people, black youth in particular, getting involved with these realms and kind of connecting with tech um, and realizing that you can interact with this space and talk about it, have opinions on it without necessarily being like a computer scientist or engineer yourself. Mm -hmm. um, okay, well, I was just um, wondering, uh, bringing it back to the relationships one, like mm -hmm. uh, what in specific kind of led to that? Um, the choice is that as the theme for the first phase or did it kind of evolve naturally as you were starting to work out story ideas? Um, it definitely mm -hmm. evolved naturally. Um, there were some themes that overlapped, but we decided that we wanted relationships to be the overarching, overarching theme. Um, and so we kind of tailored the rest after we decided that um, to be more about the relationships between the entities in the story. Yeah. Um, I think we thought of episode one before we had to decide what the phase would be. Yeah. And episode one is like, I mean, it's a familial relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's a very wholesome one, I'd say. Um, we start out things off generally in a pretty warm, like wholesome way. And we thought like the connection between the parents and the child or the children and between the children themselves was just like really the core, core theme of the episode. And from that, we thought we started thinking about organically the other episode ideas we had and something just kind of took shape from that. And we decided that's that's what we would explore for the first phase and see mm -hmm. where it takes us from there. Um, not all the phases are going to be as like, like relationship is such a broad uh, term. Yeah. And some of them will be a little bit more specific, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I think it was a good place to start in the first place. Because what we're talking about really is our communities. And we all have relationships to each yeah. other as well. Yeah. So it was like an easy really way relatable. to get in. Yeah, it's very relatable. Easy to get into. Yeah, yeah. So off of that... I would say like the only happy relationship would be in the first episode. Mm -hmm. And I also noticed that isolation, loneliness, and codependency were major themes for these three episodes. Were there like a particular reason you chose to analyze relationships under that frame? I would say that, well, we wanted a balance. Um, episode one was, like I said, like really wholesome and stuff. Um, so we did want we didn't want to we didn't want to lean too far into negative, but we didn't want to also like lie. You know, want to be kind of realistic about like the nature of relationships in the first place. And um, nature of tech within relationships. Exactly, <laughs> and they're complex, right? Because for example, episode three, very much a lonely a lonely uh, narrative right there. By the same time, there's motherhood in that, um, like Seda's relations to a to the professor is one of a, a mother, and then even motherhood from Seda trying to take upon that role himself when he created all the all the creatures and he calls himself a mother and his relationship to the creatures i would say is very like it's very sweet you know it's like it's, it's kind of cute to see like um how he perceived his own relationship to his professor and how he tried to emulate it and like where he had faults and where where it worked really well for him and what it transformed to become and then even with relationship uh sorry relationship episode two 
um, we had the conflict between the, the couple, but then also very tender moments between the couple mm -hmm. in which they like speak on each other or speak to each other in their moments of like where they're down and like they're defeated. They pick each other up and they in the end they you know get to fight the main person that's been putting them through the struggle the entire time. So where we show like the negative sides of the relationship, I think we also show the like the reflection, the opposite, the positive side, and vice versa. Um, a fear of mine with episode two was that I know a lot of um, queer and LGBTQI um, related stories always have a couple that are not happy together have some kind of tragic ending yeah. where it's just there's some issue and I was like I hope this doesn't fall into that <laughs> I uh, I wasn't cognizant of it as I was writing and then I was like wait <laughs> like as soon as I finished I was like oh um, but I was hoping like Addie said Addie said there would be some good balance between moments that um, felt like they were tender and moments that felt like this is a real kind of conflict that's believable and mm -hmm. happens within any kind of couple um, and also I hoped that people would feel like the couple in that, that episode stuck with each other through the end exactly. and um, kind of had a bond through enduring this thing together mm -hmm. um, and there's a question uh, that we got about that episode um, ending in a cliffhanger and where that ended for them. Um, and I wanted audiences to uh, kind of make up their own ending for that story, uh, how they thought it would go. But in my mind, it's a happy ending for them. They're not, they're, they're not attacked physically, um, maybe mentally throughout that story, yeah. <laughs> but um, they get out alive. They tell their story in the end um, to like the public. Um, and yeah, so my intention was not for that couple to have this like tragic dead in the woods story. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know that they made it out alive in episode two. Last thing I hear is Marisha screaming. So <laughs> <laughs> feel being optimistic, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, like it's a computer, so like the power is in It could go either way. Really yeah. Good. yeah. Well, I think like in episode two, I, I don't know, in a lot of like successful science fiction, like it's like a little window into a world. Like I think in episode two, especially like you have like a really clear, um, you paint a really clear picture through like showing that, oh, like there's still like pockets of nature preserved in the near future that like become this like thing that not everyone can access mm -hmm. easily. And, you know, there's this world that exists outside of it. And so there's like this open ended, uh, I think it's. Um, especially with science fiction, like you kind of it begs for open-ended endings in a what in a way because the whole point of it is to like you know reflect on possibilities. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you know I think that really um, it, it makes the world feel more open in in a certain way too. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. I um, wanted to ask Vanessa Vanessa a question. Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. When you were listening, did you relate to any of the characters in this phase? <clears throat> I don't know if I did, which isn't a bad thing. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I read that question and I was thinking about it. And I mean, obviously, like on the very surface level, I'm not within those circumstances or I wouldn't be. I, I don't have children. <laughs> uh, I'm not in a relationship. Um, 
not floating through space by myself. <laughs> but like generally, no, I don't think I related to them. But I'm fine with that because I don't always need to necessarily like really relate to a character um, or to be like I see myself in this moment yeah. in order to like understand it and appreciate what's happening. And I like stories where, again, I think one one pitfall um, that gets pushed onto black creators, right, is this idea that the characters you create have to like mean something to everybody and mm, they have to be personally yes. familiar to every single person. Mm -hmm. and, th and that's not fair to the creators themselves. And it's also not fair to you as the person, you know, listening or reading, consuming the content, however you are. You should be able to see other characters, other black people doing things and they're yeah. not you and you should still be able to understand the story what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I liked that I wasn't, like I couldn't identify intimately or personally with what was going on in this phase. And I still like that I could walk away from it and be like, nah, but I still like felt what was going on and I still connected with these characters. Um, did any of the stories like give you a new lens in which you just observe your own reality? Like did they change your perspective on something or did they like rekindle some thoughts that you had about like, you know, the current state of things in your world? Um, I think for me, episode two, definitely rekindled some thoughts on AI. Mm. Um, I mean, I was reading a book. I didn't finish it. I have to go back. It's very academic. Story of my life. Hence why I stopped reading. <laughs> uh, but it was just talking kind of about the what anxieties around like robots replacing people um, mm. and like labor and robots as like, what was it? Essentially, I forget the exact word, but essentially looking at the concept of robots and all those anxieties and where they're coming from. Um, and then it just made me think about like the idea of, again, it's a common one, but like, you know, the robot uprising or like AI gains mm. consciousness, whatever consciousness is, mm. uh, and like turns against people. Um, and then who does it turn against? Because that's an important question. Um, and it just made me think of a story that I'm working on where it's essentially looking at and kind of troubling that idea of like AI is going to be evil anytime it gains consciousness because people are terrible. And instead looking at the possibility of AI relating with people who are like outside of that category of like human with a capital H, right? Yeah. Uh, and so identifying themselves with like black people or other people of color, um, you know, poor people and things like that. Uh, but yeah, so episode two just generally made me think about artificial intelligence and the way it's showcased into the speculative fiction and like where that can continue to go. Can we, I don't know, I just, this is kind of aside from Obsidian Loki, but what you just talking about with AI, it's just, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I'm realizing that the fear that people have when it comes to AI overthrowing people, uh, throwing like the system, it's the same, it's linked to the same fear people have with like working class, like taking oh, yeah. control, means of production, and everything like that. It's like, the people that have the most fear about this are usually in a space where they have the most to lose mm -hmm. from like the, both entities, you know, like taking ownership of like their life and everything, and like their, their, their ability to work. Um, AI is like the ultimate slave, right? Like it has no opinions, it has no ability to fight back until it does. Mm -hmm. And that's when it gets uh, scary, yeah. which is the same thing that people like for history have said about black folk that are, you know, working under them and just poor folk. Like it's the same exact conversation. But no, so on the, on the topic of robots real quick. Yeah. Um, they gave me, I, I found the book I was talking about and I just wanted to read two quotes from it that mm -hmm. I had tweeted. Um, it's called Surrogate Humanity. Mm. Uh, and so one quote, um, and again, this book is overall talking about like, you know, robots and anxieties around it and how like colonialism, anti-blackness and all of that are 
fundamental to human machine interactions and yeah. how to essentially disrupt that. Um, but they say techno liberalism's version of universal humanity heralds a post race and post gender world enabled by technology, even as that technology holds the place of a racial order of things in which humanity can be affirmed only through degraded categories. Uh, and then it goes on to say, lacking political consciousness, the robot, which stands in for colonized and enslaved labor, cannot stage revolution. Yep. In this sense, the freedom of the fully human liberal subject cannot come to be without the unfreedom of the less than human or the non-human. Yep. That's that's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly it. It's like this this desire for like that power structure to be maintained yep. to exist. It is interesting. There's we, we can have a whole conversation about the dynamics of robot AI and what it means for the working class and what it means for power dynamics. Um, but that would take another hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, uh, if you're listening, our audio got cut off. The the recorder died, so we're jumping right back from where you left off. I'm not sure when we do post editing where we're gonna leave it off exactly, but yeah. yeah. Might. Okay, stay there. <laughs> that's good I like that I like that <laughs> I'm looking at somebody's questions mm, uh, I have a question that was written for Vanessa it's not my question but I think everyone can answer it um, if it's your question shout out to you you can type up what's your ideal listening environment for Obsidian mm, that's Jason right? oh, that's, my question. Yeah. that's a good question you should answer it for yourself too but everybody, I kind of want to hear everybody's answers. Um, I could start. Uh, my ideal listening environment is because I am a terrible listener. Uh, just generally, ADD goes wild. Can't sit still. <laughs> uh, so usually at home, um, I usually just like to clear my desk and pull it up on my computer, um, and then just listen while I'm sitting there. Um, I also did rewatch or re-listen to the episodes while I was home. Yeah. And then that has siblings around, so that's less than ideal. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go next. So as someone that's helping like produce and put it together, I listen in like so many different environments, half of which just to make sure that the experience is good for anybody. So I listen to the car to make sure if you listen on a commute it's good. Listen with like people around me to make sure you can hear us well, stuff like that. Um, my favorite experience is literally the same thing as yours, just sitting down at a desk and just like laying back and just like, you know, just engaging and consuming the entire thing. That and uh, when I listen with my parents, because now they're like trying to be all supportive and everything. And my parents were actually in episode three. Mm-hmm. They were both professors, in case you weren't hip. And uh, it was kind of, it was nice having them listen to their voices and I have like a big smile on their face and stuff. That was cute. That was that my favorite. So I have a question. Of, yeah. yeah. Oh, I just want to ask about that experience. Like, yeah. You can ask him, we can get back to this question. Okay. Well, I was just wondering like, what is like, um, having your parents like uh, as voice actors in that and then like, you know, voice actors for Seda, or like his, his parents or like weird. Parents were, it was yeah. strange. Because like when I was writing Seda, I definitely like was, you know, putting myself in his shoes and stuff. And then I, was, I realized I made my parents, literally my parents in my real world and the narrative world, which is strange. Um, but then, and so like they, I think the characters, like the professors definitely reflect some things in my own parents. So it's weird having those two conjoin and connect. And then directing my parents was also very strange. <laughs> like in the studio saying like, nah, don't do it like that. <laughs> that my dad looking at, me, looking at me like, what you mean don't do it like that? Bro? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. The first take is perfect. I'm like, nah, could you go back? Da, 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 da. <sighs> that was strange ordering them around, but yeah. it was also kind of fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was like. Uh, I felt like mm-hmm. um, 
when that was happening, I had to leave that to you because I was like, I don't want to tell your parents what to do, but maybe <laughs> you can tell your parents what yeah, to do. Yeah. Because I don't have that relationship with them. They took it really well, but, though. And they've been, like, really supportive the whole project since it started. So I think they were excited to be, like, step put a step forward into it. Side um, note, when yeah. Ade's parents um, came to record, his whole family came. <laughs> so there was, like... We're not like bro. It's a, it's a family uh, experience. <laughs> seven people up in here. If I didn't stop them, my aunts would have came, my cousins would have <laughs> came. It would have been a whole party. But now we yeah, stuck it to just the uh, nuclear fam. <laughs> what was the original? Oh, favorite listening experience. Yeah, what's yours? I, for one, don't like listening to our episodes after we've done all the uh, editing and listening to it multiple times in the editing process. And so I, um, I give myself some time. And then it really only occurs to me when someone else is listening to it in my presence. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> Put some headphones on. But no, I need to make an effort to listen to the episodes that we've recorded. Yeah. Um, I will say, I hate hearing my voice. Like the intros and outros, I skip that every single time. I do not need to hear me. That is where we differ. I feel like I am the star of the show when I'm listening to our episodes. I'm like, I sound so good. (laughs) Give myself a role. But yeah. What about Jason uh, Simone? Yeah. Um, I'm a cleaner and listen. So like I'm cleaning and it'll be on in the background on yeah. like a speaker. But I'm also like Vanessa where I'll have to listen to it over and over again. So I'll put it on a speaker and then I'll actually like put it in my headphones and just sit there. But a lot of times I tend to listen if I'm doing something else. Mm-hmm. Cause that way I feel like I'm focused but I'm not focused. Yeah. That's how I listen to most mm-hmm. of my narrative fiction podcasts too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to switch yours? As Zada was saying, like, you know, I listen to it in a variety of contexts, just like how people might actually consume it. And, like, mm-hmm. I listen to most podcasts in earbuds and, um, you know, in the car and stuff. But of course, when I'm like sound designing it, it's, you know, on like good speakers or like closed ear headphones at like relatively high volume. But it's like, that's not how I actually consume it. So after, you know, it was all done, I've heard it so many times that episode. And then, you know, I waited a few days. I, you know, I subscribed to it on my like podcast app, but I was mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna wait a few days and then just listen to it like I would normally. So, kind of coming back to it fresh as mm. like a new. Listener. That's a good idea, actually. Yeah. yeah. Let's go to uh, some social media questions. Oh, I don't want to ignore the fans. You know what I'm saying? I was thinking about this question, but I didn't know if we answered it already. So I'll read it, and if anyone has anything to add to it, we can. Instagram user. Hunger Without the H asked, what has, what's been the most surprising thing about y'all creating this podcast? Shout out Caroline. Um, I have an answer to that mm-hmm. uh, surprising thing. So at the end of my undergrad um, career, which was um, a degree in electronic media and film at Towson I was like I'm done I don't want to do film anymore I'm tired of this <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's been surprising for me to realize how much I really like working with actors again and the whole each stage of production I really enjoy pre-production writing being in the booth and doing our bits of editing mm-hmm. um, and so that's been surprising for me because I'm like maybe I'll go back into this for real yeah I mean we need you to we need more art for Sophia, 100%. <laughs> uh, 
For me, I think the surprising thing has been coming up with good ideas like on a consistent basis. Like there'll be moments that Sophia and I are like thinking of something and we're like, yo, this is fire. This is gonna be so good. And like as I'm in that moment, I'm like, damn, we ain't never gonna have another of these again. This <laughs> this is the this is a peak. This is a top. And then literally last week we were like in the in the writing room and like, holy shit, this is better than the last one. Like it's yeah. it's fun to feel affirmed in that way that like your ideas are not like uh, there's not there's not a uh, limited no supply path. of your ideas. Like this creativity is just like part of who you are and you can keep generating them and keep learning from the past experiences and your stories get better, the way you 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 know um, explain them and put them and write them down get better the way you even work with actors get better and like the performances will always improve like the stories will always improve and it's just it's just nice to know that like we're not limited mm -hmm. in our in our ability to you know be creative it's a really good answer yeah you guys have any i don't know i feel like that was more for us okay well, we can ask. Oh, yeah, it says I, I, in creating this podcast. But you've been a I'm part sorry, of the creating, so. Oh, yeah. Well, I did want to ask you what your writing process is like. Like, okay. do you kind of, because there's like, a, they're very different episodes with different worlds. And like, mm -hmm. how do you approach splitting up the labor? Part yeah. Of it? yeah. So we go through our whole process for this. So the first thing we do is essentially just brainstorm. So we'll just be in the writing room. We'll just talk about like, what idea is feasible? What idea is cool? What idea that actually excites us? Um, then once we do, once we pick up on something, we start to like world build and say like, who are, who are the characters? What's the world? Why is it important? All that type of stuff. And then one of us would decide to go, we'll go off and like actually start writing the actual script. The mistake we did for episode one <laughs> is we tr both tried to do that. We both wrote and scripts for episode one. <laughs> we're both we're like, very opinionated wait. people. We both have very different creative styles, and we came together. We're like, we can't decide. So we, I mean, we had to eventually, but we're yeah. like, we can't put ourselves in that dis that decision like at every episode, at the end of every episode. So yeah, one of us will actually write down the uh, the first draft of the script, and we'll bring it to the other, and we'll discuss it. We'll say like, this needs tweaking, this needs tweaking. I think the character's more like this, blah 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 blah. And then we'll do another. That same person will go back and do the final draft, and that's yeah. usually that's usually it. And to clarify, we both go through each detail of the story together. Mm -hmm. So like, the plot's already down. What really distinguishes um, who's doing what, what is when it comes down to the dialogue and mm -hmm. whose voice really comes out and, and the characters. Yeah. And so that's when you can like maybe distinguish what's coming from your ad. Sometimes we're not both in the booth when we are um, recording actors, but we're definitely in the booth for the episode that we write the dia dialogue for. And so we do have a yeah. more intimate relationship with the script that way because we kind of know what we want it to sound like. Exactly. Dialogue is a very, like, the most human part of the script often. Like, the way someone says something can completely change what the character is and their personality. So, yeah, if you're if you're writing that, you definitely want to be the person that's most involved in that process. Um, that's why Sophia had, you know, y'all running suicide, Simone <laughs> and, uh, and Helena running suicide. She knew what she wanted. She knew what she needed. Gotta get that breath, you know? <laughs> and I had Kosi on the chair because I wanted, <laughs> so there's a scene in the, in the episode three where he's fishing and he's supposed to be kind of off balance, like on slippery rocks. Fishing with his hand. With, yeah, with his hand at first. Not with the With rod. a spear. So we had him on a stool, just like shaking to emulate that entire like process. Mm -hmm. um, here's a um, social media question by Instagram user at Tracy Vegetables. How do you mentally prepare for your speaking role? And I'm guessing that is that Simone. <laughs> Simone's looking shook right now. <laughs> Actually, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. Um, I'm not Nigerian, so 
that like one specific line, I was like, I call I call my best friend. She's Nigerian. She's Yubo, and I was like, okay, how do you say this particular word? And I was like, would you be like Nana? Because I was like, I wanted to add because I think I went into the audition and I was like, yeah. Okiko, and I was like, and I was like, oh please, I was like, I was like, do Nigerians use that with like their lovers? Like, do they, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, just research, I guess, and. Like when you're reading about a character, especially when I was reading off the script, because there's just like what a one sentence description of who this person is. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is like you make it up on your own. Mm-hmm. So I think the most research I did was like on the Nigerian thing, and then um, I was like, yeah, just talk to like Helena, who played my my my, my girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, talk to Helena, like how you would talk to anybody you would have a crush on. So it's just like. I do that really slubby, yeah. like you know, like so. Yeah, I, that was that was just kind of how I got into that kind of Simone as Temi mm-hmm. kind of uh, We try to be really intentional <laughs> about like helping that process. Um, like you yeah. said, actually, you mentioned the icebreakers, which makes you know people more comfortable with these uh, with each yeah. other. Mm-hmm. And then there's sometimes we actually play reference material to put mm-hmm. people in that world. For episode three, um, Kosi was the actor, and we played an episode off of. Um, uh, what's it called again? Uh, the uh, Netflix Love show. Love Death Robots. Love Death Robots. Thank you. Called Zima Blue, which was like a huge inspiration. You should oh, all check I it out. Yeah. If you enjoyed episode three, check out Zima Blue, and you see the the correlation. It's on Netflix. Yeah. And we played that entire episode for him, and he was like, "Oh, I got it. I'm, yeah. in, I'm in the zone." I, we actually, well, I think it's really important for us to make sure that you guys understand and ask questions about your characters first. So I hope that we do offer enough for you to really like get into like who this person is yeah. too. The sustenance line, that threw me off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's like, yeah, that's something that I say, so I would say it like this. And I was like, okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we definitely let you guys ad-lib. Just, oh, so, just so everybody knows. Um, I, I want to ask if there's any more dying questions that anyone wants to ask because I want to end yeah. with um, us announcing the poll, uh, which was which was your favorite episode of the phase. So we'll end with that, um, and we'll announce the um, the title of next phase. Phase two. Phase two. But yeah, first, any last questions or comments, Jason? Mm-hmm. What was your? I didn't even write this down. But what was your favorite sound design to create? Um, I had a lot of fun with the uh, the creation, the Zora creation sequence. Mm. Um, it was just like late one night, I was just playing around with like, okay, how can I like really amp up the energy here? And it's, or it ended up being like uh, really like a musical sort of process. And I was like, you know, planning on going and actually almost making it like a piece of music. You know, there's like these repeating rhythms and stuff. Yeah. And like, you know, um, but... I kind of, I, I didn't quite do that, but like, uh, just like layering in the sounds and making it pretty dramatic. I had a lot of fun with that, with that particular moment and build up. Yeah, that shocked me because I was Surprised like, what, the hell what out is of me, this? <laughs> what is this? But for some reason, I can believe it. Yeah, no, I was like very happily surprised. I was so confused and like in the best possible way. It was dope, very dope. Yeah. A lot of that reminded me of the noises. I don't know if any of you have ever seen District Nine. Yes. But yeah, it reminded me a lot of the, there was like cricket, ro- whatever the cricket uh-huh. hybrids are, a lot of those sounds reminded me of that. 
I think like <laughs> the the design and work that goes into creating fictional character sounds is so underrated. Like it yeah. takes so much imagination to make that seem realistic and feasible. Um, just like I said with District Nine, I truly believe that those were what the sounds the sounds that those creatures would create. And I think Jason did the same thing with the Zor. We t- it was one of the hardest parts, honestly. Yeah. Um, we talked at like in, at length about like what they should sound like or what they could sound like and he really knocked out the park with that created each sound on his own on his own yeah the well the zora that's all that's all my voice like that's your voice what? yeah 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 bro your, we didn't know that <laughs> see we didn't even know that that's your voice yeah yeah it was all the um, all the like little i mean all the vocalizations yeah like, i was yeah just like oh that's really was, cool uh, imitating one of my cats, oh, basically. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Running through through uh, facts and stuff. Well, that's and he made distinct uh, sounds for like the emotions that Zora would be expressing, like distress, frustration, anger. They all have like a distinct sound. That's Had you told so us, impressive. We would have put you in the credits as Jason Charney as the Zora. Like actually, you deserved that. <laughs> uh, we got to go and edit that now. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> okay, so let's go on to the uh, best episode. Yep. So we're gonna end with. The question that we asked earlier in this week, which was, which was your favorite episode of the phase? And so we asked uh, our listeners on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook is really lacking, uh, but we got five votes from there. So total 38 votes, uh, which is crazy because we actually get a lot of listeners, y'all. Um, <laughs> so for episode one, we got 10 votes for favorite episodes, 60 minutes through space. For episode two, off the grid, 16 votes. And episode three, sunset, sunrise, twelve votes. So Woo. episode two, one. Shout out Simone. Shout out Marisha. Shout out. Hello. I won. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we can wrap up. Yeah. So we'll wrap up. Well, we'll announce what the phase two idea is going to be the title of it and then we'll have all of you guys you know give plugs or say goodbye whatever you want to do um, exactly the follow the ads um so yeah phase two is going to be three episodes again and the story or the title of the episode or the, the phase is dna data storage um and the interesting thing about that uh phase Wait, is again. That, oh dna data storage Oh God! Oh. <laughs> and the interesting thing about that phase is that um, the episodes are all going to be linked to each other. Yes. So this is actually going to be within one world, um, and similar characters as well. And we're going to follow a whole story for the f- for the all three episodes. For three episodes. Oh, so you really yeah. get to learn about these characters. Yeah, you're going to oh, learn about dope. these characters, the world they're in, and how it applies to our world. So you know, we'll just leave you off with that. You know, get mm-hmm. excited. Uh, it should be coming out in the end of January. No, February. February. Yeah. This is the end of January. Yeah, yeah. The last Monday of February. All right. So we're not going to plug our handles, are we? Yeah, I mean, y'all know what's up. So the podcast. So, yeah. yeah. Signing out as Sophia. Thanks, guys, for coming. I really appreciate it. Signing out as a day. Thank you guys again, like she just said. Um, it's great to hear you guys, and this is a very fun and uh, interesting conversation. Thanks for having me on, and... Uh, fun to have this conversation and reflection um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at, at Jay Charney um, signing off as Simone I'm on Twitter as Simone Fiasco <laughs> and I'm on Instagram as Simone underscore EB uh, yeah signing out as Vanessa I'm on Twitter at Bacon Tribe and I don't have IG <laughs> cool 
Wait, wait, wait. Vanessa, please tell us about uh, Drinking Gourd. Ah, oh, Drinking yeah. Gourd, yeah. I wanted you to plug that. That was my yeah. desire. <laughs> um, I failed so bad at that. No, yeah. So uh, the Drinking Gourd is a black Muslim literary magazine that myself and a collective of black Muslim youth launched. Uh, we right now are accepting submissions for fiction, poetry, and essays, or really however you want to like do a hybrid of that, whatever you want to do. Um, and we pay $50 per piece. We're hoping to increase that rate. So if you want to help us do so and you want to support us, we have a PayPal. If I was better, I would be able to remember the handle. <laughs> but our, our Twitter handle is DrinkingGordMay. Um, and if you just type the Drinking Gourd Medium into Google, it'll come right up. Um, but yeah, we have no specific theme. We're open to anything. And if anybody's interested in contributing and wants to work out a story idea, you can also hit me up directly and I'll be happy to work through something. Dope. Yeah, they're doing some good stuff. I'm very excited for that myself. Yeah. that with my grad cohort. Yes, please do. Ooh. All right, y'all. It was nice uh, talking to everybody, and we'll talk to you all later. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Be on the lookout for episode four, phase two. I think, again, last Monday of February. five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.